Today is the second Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of peace. Our peace is found in God and in his Son, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist and all the prophets remind us that to receive peace, we must be prepared for it. We light this candle today to remind us that Christ is the Prince of Peace, the one promised from the beginning of the world. We thank God for the hope he gives us and for the peace he bestows. Let us pray. O God of peace, Emmanuel. We bring you to send our light into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the day and the hour of Christ's appearing. 
work in our hearts at this time and help us prepare ourselves for the peace that he brings, the inner peace that tells us that we are united with you, and the outer peace which will come when he returns to judge the world. Bless our worship that it may be pleasing unto you, and bless us that we may prove to be your faithful servants. Amen. Please stand as we continue our worship together. So this is how it was, a silent night like any other. When heaven sent the one, the one that we would call our
Father, we give you thanks and praise that Christ has come. We ask that our worship today would bring honor and glory to you as we once again experience together what it means that Christ has come. Thank you for being present with us in our worship. We pray that uh, your grace will rest upon us and our hearts will be open to you through the power of Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. couple things I want to mention to you. Tonight at 5 o'clock is the uh, carol sing and cookie reception. This time we get together, we just sing your favorite Christmas carols. Uh, So come tonight and then if you can bring a plate of cookies or some bars or something, uh, we'll have a time of fellowship in the community room after that. So that's today at 5 o'clock. Also notice that uh, we do need some people to help out with Children's Church uh, during uh, the break, college break. And you see information in the bulletin about that and as well as a lot of other announcements. And there's an insert also with some things on it. And uh, that will also give you some insights into what's happening as our schedule changes of worship and activities over the next few weeks. We're going to ask the ushers to come now and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
spend time praying together. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we give you thanks today for the privilege of coming to pray. I suspect it is a privilege that we sometimes take for granted. And yet we read in your scripture, we, we see your people through the ages recognizing the power and the privilege of prayer. And so today we come and we pray. We come today in gratitude, giving thanks for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. As coming into the world, being born of human flesh, that we might know you, have a relationship with you, be saved from our sins. We thank you. Father, we come today asking for your grace and help in our lives. We pray for those among us who today come with, with hearts of grief, and pain, of loss, struggle. We pray for your comforting presence upon each one. We ask, Father, for your healing grace upon those who are struggling with issues of health. And we think especially of Ellis Brotsman and Vesta Mullen, for Tim Nichols and Bruce Brenneman. We pray for Bill Roski, for Beverett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Alton Shea, and for Isla Shea and Dick Gould, and for Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler. And others who are on our hearts and our minds today. Father, we pray for the world beyond us. We thank, Father, of the people who have been affected so powerfully by the Jesus film ministry. And we pray that this will continue. We recognize that the evil one is going to try to prevent what you want to do through this ministry. And we pray that you will protect the people in this ministry. We pray that the word will continue to go out and that through the Jesus film, hearts will be touched and eyes opened and lives transformed as you alone can do. Father, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who live at the threat of persecution and even the threat of death. We ask that you would strengthen them and encourage them. And particularly at this time of year, may they know the nearness of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the many other needs that we bring with us today. Burdens of family, of work, relationships, the struggles of our nation, the struggles of our lives. And today we come and declare that you are Lord of all. We place into your hands all of these burdens and concerns, knowing that you hear us when we pray and you answer in the way that is best. And so today, Father, we offer our prayers in the spirit of trust, and faith because of who you are. Remembering 
what you've done for us in Jesus Christ and remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Scripture this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, and Luke 2, verse 1 to 20. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be, to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went out to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with a ch- with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren in, his, in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, they, they came, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign on you. Unto you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning that what had been told them about this child, and all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. While shepherds. 
We have a lot of images of angels that come to our minds. Some of them like It's a Wonderful Life. And most of the time we think of angels, they have wings and, and they, um, they tend to, in our minds, communicate something that we're not quite sure God can communicate. Uh, if you look at modern culture, angels are very popular. Uh, we see them in, uh, in a lot of uh, people who may not have any real religious Christian faith, but, you know, will wear angel necklaces or pens. We, we find people talking a lot about angels, television shows about angels. And I think in the back of our minds, at least in general culture, there is a sense in which people are looking for something religious, something spiritual, but they don't know exactly what to do with it. And they, they don't really want some other religion, but they don't really like the image that they have perceived in their minds about God. And so angels are a really nice way of saying, this is something we sort of create in our own image. And we make angels to be what we basically want them to be. And... 
unfortunately, often the image that we come up with doesn't look a lot like the biblical images of angels. When you look at the scriptures, we find a, we find a lot of things about angels. Angels are mentioned about 300 times in the scriptures. There's only a few books in the Bible that don't mention angels. They are prevalent in the scriptures. What we find about angels, uh, there are some characteristics I think that we can see. They're created beings. Uh, they are not, they're not divine. And I think sometimes people see them that way. They are created beings. They are not God. They are uh, numerous. Uh, the scriptures talk often about how there are, there's not just one angel, but there are multitudes of angels. In fact, there is some sense of a hierarchy of angels that perhaps Michael and Gabriel are these archangels and maybe the cherubim and seraphim are the next level of angels. Then you have the, all the, the host of angels that in Luke tells us they sang at Jesus' birth. But that's speculation to some degree. But we, we do find that they are mentioned about them being very numerous. There are lots of angels. Uh, they are sometimes visible, sometimes invisible. Sometimes they, they take on human characteristics. In Genesis chapter 19, there are angels that appear to come to visit Abraham. And he, to him, they look just like human beings. And he carries on conversation with them and he feeds them. We find out later that they are not human beings, or at least not in, the, they are called angelic beings. In, uh, but sometimes they're invisible. There's a story in 2 Kings 6 of, of uh, Elisha, who, uh, whose servant walks out of the house one day and is frightened to death because all around them is the army of Syria coming to attack them. And he runs back in the house, you know, in fear, shaking. Elisha, what are we going to do? The army of Syria is all around us. And Elisha's comment is, uh, the ones who are with us are greater than the army of Syria. And the servant says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. And he opens his eyes and he sees all around him the army of God, the angelic army of God that truly is greater than the Syrian army that is surrounding them. By and large, I think, when you read the scripture, and this is something I don't think a lot of people realize or at least don't want to admit. Most of the time, even though, in, as you saw in these, a lot of these artistic artwork, angels are pictured as sort of these, um, I don't know, fat little cherubic beings with wings. Uh, most of the time when angels appear, they scare the life out of people. I mean, what's the first thing out of every, almost every angel's mouth? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why say that if people aren't scared to death that this angel appears to them? Earlier in Luke chapter 1, uh, the angel appears to Zechariah as, as he's in the temple to tell him about the birth of John the Baptist, his son. And it says that Zechariah is overcome with fear. And that's the general response. They are terrifying. And, and yet, as soon as people kind of calm down, uh, they give them a word from God. The purpose of angels, well, they are servants to do God's work. We find that sometimes that involves declaring, doing the wrath of God. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned and God cast them out of the garden, he posts angels at the entrance to the garden to keep them out. You find out through, you find through the history of Israel, places like 2 Samuel 24 and uh, 2 Kings 19, we find a number of examples of angels who are fighting against Israel or angels that are fighting for Israel against their enemies they are warriors. They do battle. They, they fight as the army of God. When we get to, to uh, Revelation, uh, which angels are mentioned often in Revelation, I think I counted between Revelation 5 and the end of Revelation, angels are mentioned over 70 times during that event, those events. And a lot of it, the angels are the ones who, who, are the, who 
do the, uh, the work of destruction of God in the wrath poured out on the earth. And we see that over and over again. But they also are there to help people. In Genesis 24, uh, Abraham was looking for a wife for his son Isaac. And he sends his servant and he says, The angel of the Lord will go before you and he will help you find an appropriate wife for my son. You find in... um, Later on, you, you find the angels also talking and helping people in a variety of settings throughout the scriptures. As, as people have needs, as people have burdens, as people have concerns, the angels come and they help them. They are there for them over and over and over again. Angels are, are God's messengers. In fact, the word angel means messenger. It means they, they represent God. They do God's work on earth. They are God's servants to carry out his purposes on the earth. And we really understand all that you know, we might want to understand about angels, but that we know they are servants of God to carry out his work. They are not God himself. They, everything they do is, in rep- is representing God. Everything they do is for the purpose of God. And it sort of messes up the cultural image that a lot of people have about angels. That they are independent beings. In fact, I read somewhere that in a, a best-selling author said that we need angels because we have created this image of God as judgmental and jealous and vindictive. And angels are never like that. Angels are compassionate. Angels are nice. And in essence, they're saying... We don't really like the image of God. We like angels better. But the angels are, exist only to be servants of God. They are not independent beings sort of doing their own thing. They are messengers of God. They are, they are servants of God. And everything they do is a part of the will of God. And that's what I think is what makes it so difficult for at least one angel and those who follow him that we call Satan. Scripture seems to imply that Satan, and here you, know, you see some images of Satan that people try to depict, usually horns and pitchfork. I don't know exactly where that image, those images came from, but we, the images of the Scripture seems to tell us that, that Satan started out as an angel of light. In John 8.44, it says that talks about how the angel once, seems to imply that the angel once knew what was right and let go of it. We find in Ezekiel 28, he's talking about the, the king of Tyre for a while. And then you get to a point in verse 12 where the passage sort of shifts focus. And he seems to be talking about the power behind the king, the evil one who is who is enticing the king to, to act the way he's acting. And it shifts, and Ezekiel seems to be talking about now the evil one and talks about how he has fallen. And Isaiah 14 does the same thing. It talks about how the, the angel was, of light was in this great place and honoring God and fell from his height because he wanted to be God himself. The Underneath what... I guess what creates this, this Satan to rebel against God is that he's not content to be the servant of God. He wants it to be about him. He wants it to be about what he accomplishes, not about doing the will of God. And he rebels. It, he seems to take a lot of demons with him. Revelation 12 implies that he may have taken a third of the angels with him and they become the demons that do the work of the evil one on the earth. And Satan's goal is to defeat God. Satan's goal is to reject God. Satan's goal is to to destroy whatever God loves. And sometimes I think we have this image in our minds that Satan is the opposite of God. Sort of as we think about opposites, if you say good, you say bad. If you say light, you might say dark. You say happy, you say sad. And we sort of say, you say God, you say Satan. But Satan is not the opposite of God. As though they were equals on the opposite sides of of the coin. 
Satan is the adversary, really not so much of God as of God's people. Because Satan can't do anything to God. Satan has no power against God. God is the Almighty One. Satan is not. The angels are limited. Whatever angels are talking about, the angels that follow God or the angels that have rejected God, they are, they are not the powerful ones as God is. They are limited in their power. And the adversary of Satan really is us. God loves us and his creation, and Satan's goal is to destroy that. And again, there, there are theories about why God, why Satan may have rebelled. And one interesting thing, theory is that, you know, in Psalm 8, it talks about how God made human beings a little lower than the angels. And you can almost sense Satan saying, wait a second, you're going to love these people who are lower than me, than us? You're going to do all of this for these people who are lower than we are. You know how they're going to rebel against you. You know how they're going to treat you. You know all the things they're going to do. And yet you're going to do all this for them. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not letting that happen. I'm going to try to put an end to that. Because that's not right. And Satan rebels. It does tell us that in some form, at least initially, angels had free will. Had free will to choose. This is a part of the... One of the main, many parts of the story that you think, I don't understand all this about angels, but they seem to have had free will to choose what they, whether they want to follow God or not. And I have this image in my mind, and I don't, can't say this is, you know, exactly right, but the image in my mind is that when we get to heaven, well, this I think is true, when we get to heaven, we're going to realize the fullness of the desires of our hearts. So it's what Lewis talks about in The Great Divorce, that people who are in heaven are people who all their lives have wanted God. We may have imperfectly followed God. We may have imperfectly been disciples of him. But the desire of our heart is God and the things of God. And we are thrilled to be able to worship God. That's what heaven is about. And people for whom the desire of their heart is self, that's what hell is about. And we simply receive at the second coming of Christ, as we talked last week, we simply receive in that moment the fullness, we experience the fullness of the desire of our hearts. And it makes me wonder if angels are not in that state, that they had the free will to choose and then at some point they have received the fullness of the desires of their being to follow God or to not. And now these angels that we, the, people, the beings we call angels as opposed to demons, give themselves fully to following God. And Satan and his demons give themselves fully to try to destroy the works of God. And they are against us continually. And that's why it's important for us, though, to keep in mind what Paul writes at the end of Romans 8. that he says, nothing in all God's creation, not angels or principalities, or powers, or demons can keep us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I think one of the things that God, one of the reasons God sends angels to us is to help us understand that. Because when we start talking about what do angels do, what are they here for, what's their purpose, I think there are a few things that come to mind as we read the scriptures. One is they're here to protect us. Look at Psalm 91, and the writer says that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so you will strike your foot against a stone. I think it's from this passage, and there are a few others, that we get this idea of guardian angels. Angels that watch over us and protect us. This is a passage, this, this very passage is one that Satan quotes to Jesus when he's tempted in the wilderness. And he says, just jump off the top of, this, of the temple. Jump off here and, and, and the angels will protect you because God has promised. There is something about the protection of angels to God's people. You see this in Daniel chapter 3, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace because they won't bow down and worship the idol of the king. And the scripture says that, that the angel came and protected them. 
Same thing in Daniel 6 when he's thrown into the lion's den for for refusing to stop praying to God. And the scripture says that the angels closed the mouths of the lions and protected Daniel. There's stories of this through the centuries. There's a story of John Patton who was a missionary in the South Pacific in the 19th century who some of the the people, uh, the tribal people around them where they were working circled the, the, uh, their home and were threatening to kill them. And they spent all night, he and his wife spent all night praying for God's protection. And when they got up the next morning, the, the warriors were gone. And they were spared. A few years later, the, the chief of his tribe, one of these warriors, was converted to Christ. And in the course of the conversation, John Patton asked him about that night. Asked him if he remembered it. He said, oh yeah, we remember it. He said, well, why'd you guys take off? He said, well, my question for you is, who were all those men around your house guarding you? And Patton said, there were no men around guarding us. It was just my wife and me. He said, oh, there were men there. We all saw them. They had swords and they were ready to battle. And we ran. I I think about this when... Five or six years ago, I mean, it's been seven years ago now, Cindy and I were driving from, from uh, Rushford, coming back from Buffalo, driving, just gotten through Rushford, and coming down 243 toward Canadia. And as we were going along, it was just about like, almost dusk, and a deer ran out in front of us. And I swerved, and as I swerved, it just sort of lost control, and the car began to spin. And we span, spun around a number of circles, ended up hitting a guardrail, and coming to a stop. And we were fine, you know, just a little shaken up, but no real injuries. But I pondered that many times as we spun around the road. I mean, you know how many semis, other cars travel that road? It was clear. There was the one place where there was a guardrail where we didn't go down into a drop off into a ditch. We hit this, this railing that protected us. I thought back of that and thought, I wonder guardian angels that watched over us. And sometimes the protection of God comes out as not just protection, but comfort for us. Corrie Ten Boom tells the story of when she was first arrested by the Nazis and sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And they were searching all the women as they entered and she had hidden a Bible under her dress. And she prayed, she just realized they really needed that Bible as they went into the camp. And she prayed that God would send his angels to make her invisible. She said, in this moment, let the angels hide me. And as she walked through the line of women, it's as though the guards didn't see her at all. They didn't, they, 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 her sister was behind her and they searched her and they searched the woman in front of her, but they just let her walk right through. And as they walked from that room into the next one, they were, there were more guards there doing more searching. And this time they were, they were patting everyone down to make sure they weren't hiding anything. And she kept praying, Lord, help those angels to hide me. And the woman in front of her was hiding a, 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 a knitted vest under her dress. And they found it and took it from her. But she walked through as if she didn't exist at all. And that Bible that she smuggled in there, that the angels protected her from them seeing her was a lifeline for them as they spent the next few years in this horrible place. God's angels not only protect us, but they comfort us. Sometimes, and we don't know why, sometimes people aren't protected. Sometimes we we face difficulties and pain and struggles. And in the midst of that, God sends his angels to comfort us in our pain, in our struggles. Jesus is finished with his temptation in the wilderness. It says that the angels came and they ministered to him. They met his needs. They comforted him. They helped him. It is one of the ways in which which God uses his angels in our lives. There is some sense that perhaps at the moment of death that angels are there with us, representing God, comforting us in this, this difficult time. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and Lazarus. And he says in there that when Lazarus died, the angels carried him to 
the bosom of Abraham, to that place of, of paradise. And there, maybe that's what angels do. The beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, he says that are not all ministering, are not all angels ministering spirits, comforting us, helping us, being God's presence with us? Angels protect us, they comfort us. They also, angels also are simply messengers of God to us. They speak God's word to us. I don't think angels speak God's word to us in a general sense, like Jesus does as he proclaims the the larger truths of God, but in the more specific sense, in in the moments of life when we need a word from God, It seems as though it's often angels that come to God's people and speak to them. You think about... You think about Zechariah. The Christmas story is filled with people who hear God's message to them. As Zechariah goes into the temple to offer incense, it's his time. An angel appears and he says to him... You and your wife, though you're way past the age of bearing children, are going to have a child. And he's going to be great. He's going to be the one who prepares the people for the Messiah to come. And Mary receives this angel, appears to Mary to tell her she is going to bear the Messiah. Angel appears to Joseph to tell him, your wife Mary, that you're about to divorce because you don't understand what in the world's going on. Don't do that because what's the, the child that she's about to bear is from the Lord. It's a specific word. And sometimes I wonder if God doesn't send these angels. And, you know, angels, they seem to appear in a variety of forms. And sometimes maybe they're through human beings that God speaks his word that comes to us. But he has a word for us to assure us, to teach us, to help us in the specific moments of life when we're searching for what we should do or how we, to, how we should proceed or we just need to hear something from God. It seems as though when we read the scriptures, often an angel comes and speaks that word. But ultimately, I think the purpose of angels is to turn our attention to God. It is to, to help us understand that life is about God. And the angels come and they they help us see God. They help us turn our attention to God when our focus often is on us or other things. I think one of the things we see with angels is to remind us, to help us focus our attention on worshiping God. When you read through the book of Revelation, John is, is describing for us what he sees. And there are often angelic beings that guide him and lead him and walk with him through this journey. In chapter 7, it talks about how the angels join the, the people and uh, the nations, the tribes, all these people in worshiping God. And in, in, in chapter 14, the angel says that, that uh, he said, talks about they all come and they worship. And he says, you bow down and we're all going to worship God because that's the center. That's, he is the focus of everything that we're about. And in chapter 19, John becomes oh so overwhelmed by what he sees and what the angel is telling him. He actually bows down and starts to worship the angel. And the angel immediately says, get up. Stop that. Don't worship me. Worship God. I worship God. This is not about worshiping me. This is about worshiping the Father. And the angels continually remind us that it is about God. It's about focusing our attention on God. When the angels appear to the shepherds, what do they proclaim? Glory to God in the highest. It's about who God is. It's about focusing our attention on him. This is one of the things that that disturbs me about how the general culture tends to see angels. It's as though the angels are the beings that we worship. But angels are simply intended to point us to God. And the other side of that is not just our worship of God, but to help us remember and understand and focus on God's love for us. 
I got to tell you, I don't understand a lot about angels. I've been wrestling with this sermon this week is trying to figure out how do you pin down angels? They are so mysterious. And there's a part of me that that you have this sense of, of angels seem to do some of the work of the Holy Spirit as they speak to people and protect people and comfort people and are present and give a word to people. It, it feels as though there's, there's some overlap and certainly God and the Holy Spirit are working what they do. I don't really understand all that angels are, but I do know this, they're a gift from God. And we ought to give thanks for that. John Calvin said, I don't understand everything about angels. Sometimes they don't make sense to me. But if God in his generous grace says, I'm giving you angels to help you understand me, then who are we to say we shouldn't accept that and embrace it and give thanks to God for it? They're a gift of him. Someone called them little epiphanies of the divine in the ordinary. And God's angels are a gift to us to remind us of his love for us. I I get the sense that there is something about the way angels communicate to us that help us understand God and see God and experience God in a way that we need. And the problem isn't that God doesn't communicate to us or that he can't communicate to us. It's just with our limitations, he knows that maybe speaking to us through angels, using angels, we hear it, we see it, we experience it. And they're gifts of God. Angels love what God loves. Angels love us as much as they are able as God does. It's fascinating to me when you read Luke 15 and Jesus tells the parable of the the lost sheep and the lost coin and eventually the lost son. In those first two parables of the sheep and the coin, when he gets done with them, he makes this statement. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. The angels get so excited every time a human being opens their heart to the love of God. And I have in my mind that every time someone opens their heart to God, this huge party erupts in heaven among the angels. Did you see that? Did you see that? That's so awesome. And they, they celebrate. They are gifts of God to us. Confusing sometimes. Mysterious, certainly. But only in, in the great wisdom of God... He gives them to us as gifts to help us understand him and experience him and know him. And we ought to give thanks. As we read the the Christmas story, as we think about Advent and preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ once again at Christmas, and we see how God uses the angels in this story to prepare people for his coming, to announce his coming. Let's give thanks. Give thanks to God who loves us so deeply that he will stop at nothing. He will use every available means possible to protect us and to comfort us and to speak to us and to help us know the depths of his love for us. Gracious Father, there are a lot we, there's a lot we don't understand about angels. But we give you thanks that in your wisdom and mercy and grace, you have created them to help us. You've created them as your servants in this world and in our lives. Make us grateful. Help us to see your love in them and to celebrate. And may the angels who sang about the birth of Christ inspire us to worship you and to open our hearts to your love for us. Amen.
Please stand and join us as we sing. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.